Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk Nation Radio, the new Biden administration and Venezuela. What can we expect? Our guest is Steve Elner. He is a retired professor of the Universidad de Oriente in Venezuela and currently an associate managing editor of Latin American Perspectives. He is the author and editor of over a dozen books on Latin American politics and history, his most recent being his edited Latin American Extractivism, Dependency, Resource Nationalism, and Resistance in Broad Perspective. He has published on the op-ed page of the New York Times, LA Times, and in The Nation and is a regular contributor to NACLA report on the Americas. He has been a visiting professor at Georgetown University, Duke University, University of Buenos Aires, Tulane University, and elsewhere. Steve Elner, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thanks for the invitation, David. Uh, Thanks for coming on. Thanks for everything you've been doing. So do you anticipate uh, any changes in the, the U.S. policy toward Venezuela with the new president in the White House? Well, David, all indications are that Biden will not modify Trump's regime change strategy towards Venezuela, even though Biden's foreign policy team, including the future Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, they they highlight the fact that the new government is embarking on a new approach. Um, The Democrats uh, who are in the Biden camp and who are specialists on, on foreign policy, they recognize that Trump's policy towards Venezuela has been an unmitigated disaster. Those, those are the words of Connecticut Senator Chris Murphy. Um, and Blinken and his team talk about, you know, new policies, such as negotiations with President Nicolas Maduro. They, they talk about humanitarian assistance for, for Venezuela. They talk about enlisting the support of U.S. allies. Um, and and so that that's their claim, that uh, their policy is going to be different. Uh, but all these plans are not new. In fact, they were being considered or were being carried out under the Trump administration. They don't represent a new approach um, because they are based on the fundamental idea that Maduro has to go. And furthermore, a fur- an additional sign of continuity is that Biden is recognizing Juan Guaido as the legitimate president of Venezuela, even though Guaido... It was basically appointed by Trump uh, in January of 2019. And at least when he was appointed by Trump, when Guaido declared himself, proclaimed himself president of Venezuela, he had an official position. He, he was the president of the National Assembly. Um, but at this point, he has no official position at all within Venezuela. Um, there were elections for the National Assembly that were held in December of this last year, uh, and so Guaido is no longer a member of the National Assembly. And furthermore, Guaido has been largely discredited, and discredited not not only in general in Venezuela, but within the opposition, uh, accusing him of corruption, uh, formulated by leading members of his own parallel government, um, so that, uh, you know, uh, Biden's policy, the way it's being formulated at this point, uh, does not represent a change in, in, in policy towards Venezuela. And the fact of the matter is that Biden um, invited Guaido to his inauguration on, on Wednesday, 
So it doesn't look like things are going to change in a big way. So Guaido came to Biden's inauguration or a representative of Guaido? Yeah, yeah, the representative of the uh, uh, De Vecchio, the, the, um, uh, his representative in, in Washington, uh, uh, was, was the one who was uh, invited. Um, and, uh, you know, the Democrats, along with Trump, uh, for the last uh, two years, have been saying that Guaido is the official president of Venezuela, uh, even though the majority of countries throughout the world uh, don't go along with that. His qualification seems to be he's an alumnus of George Washington University. There have been a number of uh, of good uh, coup leaders that have come out of there. Uh, well, uh, you would think that with there having been something of a coup attempt in Washington, D.C., there might be, you know, not just a new presidency in Washington, but a, but a coup attempted in Washington that some eyes might open up. So there might be some change in perspective. There might be uh, some diminishment in enthusiasm for 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 coups around the world, have we have we seen that effect uh, at all? At least with regard to Venezuela, you know, the, the uh, what happened on January sixth should be a game changer. In a sense, the chickens have come home to roost. Something that uh, you know the the, the right accused uh, presidential candidate uh, Barack Obama back in two thousand eight when, when because his the pastor of his church, Jeremiah Wright, used those same words. But that's what's happening. And that's what happened on, on January 6th. Uh, and there's so many other aspects of U.S. policy in the last couple of years that should be, uh, you know, wake-up calls. Um, the political class and the commercial media, um, you know, should, should perceive these contradictions of U.S. policy. You know, the, the case of Russiagate is another example. The, the scandal should force the politicians to look at the blatant cases of U.S. intervention in the affairs of, of other countries. <clears throat> now now the, the term U.S. sovereignty is being used. It was used by, by Trump, and with regard to uh, Russian alleged interference in U.S. elections, it's being used by the Democrats. Well, if the Russian alleged interference in U.S. elections was a violation of U.S. sovereignty, what, what about U.S. threats of U.S. Uh, military intervention uh, and actual cases of military intervention, you know, throughout the world? Um, and specifically in the case of U.S. attempted uh, uh, attempts for regime change uh, in Venezuela. What's that, uh, you know, aren't these cases of violation of uh, the sovereignty of other nations throughout the world? So th- these issues have to be addressed. What do you think that the U.S. Senate should do in the coming days and weeks uh, with regard to some of these nominees? Antony Blinken, whom you mentioned, uh, openly advocated in his uh, hearing uh, the the imposition of, of Guaido on Venezuela. The, the nominee for Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs, Victoria Nuland, played a key role in a coup in Ukraine and openly supports uh, overthrowing the government of Russia. Uh, should the U.S. Senate take a stand against these candidates for these reasons or these reasons combined with many, many other reasons uh, to reject them? You know, either the Senate should confirm him, but uh, either the Senate shouldn't confirm him, 
or at the very least, uh, the issue of U.S. intervention in Venezuelan politics should be openly discussed. Um, firstly, because Blinken um, should, should be asked, uh, is military intervention on the table, as Trump repeatedly stated that it was? Um, and if Blinken um, says yes, then there's no question that his, his nomination should be turned down. But even if he says no, uh, that there are no plans for intervention, military intervention, which I assume uh, that's what he would say, uh, there are other forms of intervention which should be explicitly rejected, uh, such as the support for a parallel government uh, in Venezuela that has no legitimacy at all at this point. Uh, so these issues, uh, at the very least, should be debated. Um, up until now, they haven't been. Uh, and the standard line is that Maduro is a dictator. Um, and this statement is, you know, made over and over again. It was made by the Trump administration um, and, and, unfortunately, by the Democrats, including some of the progressive ones, but not all, uh, not all the progressive Democrats. Um, but the mainstream media has repeated this time and again. Time and time again, so those issues have to be discussed. Uh, and there's another point of view with regard to to to, to Maduro, um, based on you know cogent arguments and, and many facts. And that viewpoint isn't getting expressed. So I think that the um, deliberations over the nomination of Blinken uh, should raise these issues, and they should be discussed uh, not only by the senators, uh, not only by Congress but also by the media, and, uh, you know, uh, there should be a general discussion about, about these issues with regard to Venezuela um, and with regard to other countries uh, uh, as they relate to U.S. intervention. Well, we're speaking with Steve Elner, a retired professor of the Universidad de Oriente in Venezuela. Steve, I, I, I never know what to make of this accusation that a foreign leader that the U.S. opposes is a dictator uh, because the U.S. government supports and arms and funds virtually all the dictators in the world. It, but it's not apparently a proposal to support them. It's an excuse to oppose them. How... how how much of the of the the bad times in Venezuela are actually a result of U.S. sanctions, and how much of bad governance? I mean, what has been the impact of uh, of the sanctions that the United States has been imposing? Well, you know, the uh, sanctions have been devastating for Venezuela, uh, but there's an argument uh, which is made by the opposition, and an argument which you know you read about in the in the media as well. That is that, okay, the sanctions have been damaging, but the problems in Venezuela, the economic problems, are really the fault of the Maduro and some say the, the Hugo Chavez government, um, because the economic problems preceded uh, Trump's uh, election as president in 2016 and the implementation of the sanctions in 2017, so that it's not really Trump's fault. It's the fault of Maduro. Uh, that, that statement is, is deceptive. Sure, there were mistakes that were made, and, you know, I believe mistakes are still being made uh, under the Maduro government. Um, but the economic problems, you know, really... Uh, um, the, the, the bulk of the economic problem uh, began with the Trump administration. 
I would say that the economic problems first manifested themselves prior to Trump uh, back in, in late 2012 uh, when Chavez went off to Cuba for the last time uh, to get treated for his cancerous tumor. And it was kind of like a, a power vi- vacuum in Venezuela. Uh, Chavez died in March of 2013. Maduro was elected president in April of 2013. So it was during that period, it was a, a power vacuum. And the main problem, the main economic problem that began back uh, at that point was the exchange control system. The uh, ratio between the exchange rate between the local currency and the dollar got out of hand. Um, so it's true that the problems predate Trump. But I would say that 95% of the deterioration uh, in Venezuelan living standards occurred during the four years of the Trump administration. Um, and furthermore, the war on Venezuela, and I, I call it the war in Venezuela because it's not just an economic war. It's also the threat of military invasion. But that, that war in Venezuela goes back before the Trump administration. In fact, uh, you know, uh, as I said, it's not just economic. It's the threat of, you know, the assassination of Maduro, of Maduro which, also, which almost took place um, uh, and the invasion uh, on two um, shorefronts by paramilitary forces coming in from, from Colombia, uh, in which U.S. Green Berets participated back in eight, and uh, an attempted coup in April, on April 30th, uh, 2019, which was engineered by Pompeo in Washington. So this war on Venezuela didn't uh, begin with the Trump administration, but the Trump administration... Um, had a lot to do with the deterioration of living standards in Venezuela. But, you know, Obama uh, issued an executive decree order uh, in 2015, which called Venezuela a threat to U.S. national security. And right after that, a number of U.S. companies, uh, beginning with Ford and Kimberly-Clark and then General Motors, they pulled out of Venezuela. So the reprisals against Venezuela... Uh, for assuming, you know, political positions, both on foreign policy and uh, economic policy, anti-neoliberal economic policy, those reprisals go back in time. Actually, they began with the Bush administration uh, back in the early years of the 21st century. You know, David, there, there are three factors that explain Venezuela's economic difficulties. Uh, you know, the, 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 what I call the war in Venezuela. Um, but the second factor is the decline in oil prices, which began in mid-2015, and that had a big effect on the Venezuelan economy. Um, because the Venezuelan economy since the mid-1920s uh, has been dependent, heavily dependent, on oil exports. Um, and then, thirdly, there were mistakes that were made, that have been made, um, by the uh, Maduro government, um, so that uh, all those factors have to be considered. But uh, the major factor, in my mind, uh, are the sanctions of the Trump administration and the fact that the deterioration, the bulk of the deterioration, uh, has taken place uh, during these last four years. 
Well, supposedly, under the Geneva Conventions, it's not legal to punish a whole population, as these sanctions seem to do, yet they seem to roll on. Uh, and Juan Guaido seems to be a, a bumbling failure time after time, but support for him goes on. Is he losing whatever popularity he may have had within Venezuela? And are there other candidates, uh, whether for a, a U.S.-backed coup or for a non-U.S.-backed uh, opposition to Maduro? Okay, well, the, the first part of your question, uh, Guaido has been discredited for, for many reasons. Uh, firstly, uh, he created great expectations uh, among the opposition uh, and in Washington as well. When he proclaimed himself president back in on January January twenty third, uh, two thousand nineteen, uh, but uh, he has suffered uh, his his reputation has suffered as a result of one botched attempt after another. Uh, you know the, the events on January twenty third, two thousand nineteen uh, were des- were designed uh, to lead into a, a coup and overthrow or an ouster of Maduro. Uh, and that failed. And then one month later, uh, he attempted to cross uh, over to Venezuela from from Cucuta in Colombia, uh, supposedly bringing in humanitarian aid. That also failed. Uh, and then uh, an attempted coup, which he was, you know, which he participated in on April thirtieth of two thousand nineteen. Uh, that was recognized by almost all the people in the opposition as ill-advised, a desperate attempt. Um, to, to, to take power. Uh, and then the invasion on st- speedboats by paramilitaries, uh, paramilitary forces coming in from Colombia. Um, uh, and now, you know, Guaido is basically reduced to a virtual status, an online status. He's an online president. And he has absolutely no mobilization capacity at all. And that, in Venezuelan politics, is essential. It's always been important. How many people can you get onto the streets? And Maduro can do it. Um, but in the case of Guaido, uh, over the recent past, uh, every, t- every time that he calls for you know, mobilization, protests, and everything else, he just gets a handful of people out there. So he has been discredited. Uh, and he's been discredited uh, you know, because of the ineptness, uh, the fact that he creates you know, this... A great expectation and doesn't come through, but he was also discredited in a big way because of accusations against him uh, of corruption. And, you know, uh, two of his uh, appointees, the ambassador, Guaido's ambassador to Colombia uh, and Guaido's ambassador to Great Britain, they both re- both resigned because of that. Uh, the ambassador to, to Colombia was Umberto Calderon Berti, a well-known, uh, fairly prestigious statesman. Uh, he was a presidential candidate um, at one point, uh, and uh, he was a professor at my university, at the University of Oriente in Venezuela. Um, and uh, he resigned because uh, he called Guaido's attention to corruption involving uh, assistance for, of humanitarian aid for Venezuelans living in Colombia, um, and Guaido uh, basically didn't do anything about that. So, uh, and more recently, uh, Guaido, uh, uh, Guaido's lawyer, an Argentine lawyer, 
negotiated with Paraguay uh, for the debt that Paraguay has to the to Venezuela, uh, and they pardoned uh, almost fifty percent of that that debt. And that lawyer got a big fee for that in the in uh, millions and millions of dollars. Uh, that well, that was exposed by the Washington Washington Post. Um, and then uh, the fact that Venezuela Citgo, you know, Citgo was a company 100% owned by Venezuela. Uh, Trump turned over Citgo to Guaido, um, and now the courts are issuing stock. Um, Citgo stock to Crystal X, a Canadian company based in, in Toronto, and ConocoPhillips. They're getting shares. Citgo is being broken up. Venezuela is losing Citgo. Uh, and that is because Guaido has not been able to defend Venezuelan interests uh, in the U.S. courts. So that that's hurting Guaido, but it's hurting Venezuela also in a big way. So is there a, a, a candidate to replace Guaido in any way, shape, or form for anyone who opposes Maduro to any degree? Yes, there is. Venezuelan politics, the, the, the opposition is very, very much divided at this point. Um, and that's something that, you know, U.S. recognition of Guaido uh, at this point is passing over completely. The fact that... Um, you know, the, the polls indicate that the majority of Venezuelans, one poll, Interlaces, um, did a poll that indicated that 80% of Venezuelans are opposed to the sanctions. The sanctions that Guaido is supporting. But within the opposition, um, there is a block of the opposition that rejects Guaido's support for the sanctions. Uh, and they certainly reject support for U.S. Uh, intervention, military intervention, which Guaido also supports. Um, yeah. Maybe not as explicitly uh, as other opposition people further to the, you know, uh, even more radical than he is. So the opposition is very much divided. But th there is an important block of the opposition uh, that uh, includes prestigious uh, politicians that go back in time. Eduardo Fernandez, who was a Christian Democratic candidate for president back in 1988. Claudia Fermin, who was the Action Democratica, Democratic Action candidate, the main, the biggest party in Venezuela traditionally. Um, he was their candidate back in 1993. Uh, they, they, they openly reject Guaido, uh, and they openly rejected the, the Trump administration's intervention in Venezuela. Um, A.D.'s Bernabe uh, Gutierrez, uh, who um, heads A.D. A.D. divided over the issue of uh, electoral participation and sanctions against Venezuela. Um, and there's one faction that supported participation in the December elections for the National Assembly. Uh, Cope also divided. And Enrique Mendoza, who is one of the leading uh, figures going way back in time, uh, supported participation in those elections. Uh, the evangelical movement, uh, headed by Javier Bertucci, who was a candidate for president back in 2018, and Henry Falcon, these are important figures in Venezuelan politics. And they reject U.S. intervention in Venezuelan politics. They support participation. And at this point, 
following the the elections that were held in December, they're they're calling for a dialogue with the government, with the Maduro government. They support the legitimacy of the Maduro government. They say that the elections that uh, Maduro won back in 2018 were were legitimate. Um, And so U.S., you know, the U.S. government, uh, Washington, uh, is completely ignoring the, the, the complexity of Venezuelan politics. Uh, and more recently, uh, David, uh, the, the hardcore opposition, the, those, those people who supported uh, Guaido, those people who are open to U.S. intervention in Venezuelan politics and open to military invention, they are now very much divided. Julio Borges, uh, who is one, one of the two leading uh, politicians of Primero Justicia, which is an important opposition party. Um, he's, he's basically broken with Guaido. He's calling for a full-scale investigation into the corruption, the accusations of corruption. And Antonio Ledesma, who is a hardliner, um, you know, even more radical than uh, Guaido, possibly even more radical, <laughs> that might be open to discussion, but he's one of the radicals. Uh, he also goes back in time, he's an old-time politician going back to the late 80s, early 90s, um, he, he is also uh, calling for an investigation into the corruption, uh, the charges of corruption against the Guaido people. Uh, and Maria, Maria Corina Machado, who's also a hardcore core radical, uh, I would say she's attacking Guaido for the wrong reasons, because she wants an even more explicit support for military intervention. Uh, but she, she's also very critical of, of Guaido. So, you know, the Guaido people are also uh, at odds with each other, uh, and the Venezuelan opposition at this point is very much fragmented. With, with just a couple of minutes left, Steve Elner, what can or should people in the United States in particular or in Colombia or in the world do who want to help but don't want to interfere or make things worse or support uh, overthrows or, or coups or, or militarism? Well, uh, firstly, uh, I, I think um, that people should insist on an open debate about Venezuela. Just like there's a debate over Medicare, not enough of it in my opinion, but thanks to Bernie Sanders and the, and the squad, the, the issue of Medicare is being discussed, and so many other domestic issues. Uh, I think that the militaristic nature of U.S. foreign policy and, and interventionism uh, gets shunted aside. And so I, I think people should insist that these issues be debated, specifically with regard to Venezuela, I think people should insist uh, on an open debate. Uh, and such an open debate, um, you know, I think it's perfectly legitimate to criticize Maduro. I've done it, you know, in my publications and my articles. Uh, you know, I, I criticize specific aspects of Maduro's policies, his economic policies and other aspects of his policies, and that's legitimate. Some, some people in the solidarity movement would... would uh, disagree with me on that. Uh, but I think that the criticism um, has to be come at the right time. I, I don't think that you can criticize uh, during a demonstration against interventionism. There's a time and a place for the, for the criticism. Um, but the debate would allow you to place those criticisms in some kind of context. Right. Uh, and the context is that war and democracy 
are incompatible. U.S. history demonstrates that uh, with the U.S. Civil War, World War One, World War Two, and so as long as the U.S. is basically at war with Venezuela, yep. um, I think democracy uh, is not going to get a fair chance. Very well said. Let's advance that agenda. Steve Elner, thank you very, very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you for the invitation, David. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at talknationradio.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is supported by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.